Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. Indie Game Business is recorded live on Mixer and produced by the Powell Group. Check us out at IndieGame.Business. Now, let's start the show with your hosts, Jay Powell and me, Indy. Well, 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 what's up, everybody? My name's Indy, and that man sitting next to me, that's Mr. Jay Powell. He's laughing at something. I don't know what. Because I didn't have the actual stream muted, and I saw you you were coming in like two seconds behind yourself, and it was like a, a weird echo. That's what it was. Uh, it's, that's always trippy. Yeah. And w- welcome to Indie Game Business. Uh, today, we've got Pontus Mahler. Mahler, like a bear mauls somebody. Is that how it's, it's pronounced? I pronounced it apparently worse, huh? Yeah, no, I think that's a great way to do it because if we go into the mello, like we say in Sweden, we're we're not getting anywhere. So mauler, <laughs> like mauling a bear, it's awesome. That's awesome. And, and we're gonna talk about money, money. We're gonna talk about how to get money to so you can make your game. Yes, we are. And so we we always start at the same spot, Pontus. And and you and I have talked. You have a really, I would say probably no one else has gotten into the industry quite like you have that we had on the show. There are obviously people who have done it, but start off by walking us through how you got into games and your, your pre-career before your current career. And then just <laughs> walk us through, you know, your journey in the industry. Sure thing. Yeah. So I have indeed a very different background from what a lot of other people come from which I think gives me a different kind of perspective than people coming from just one industry. So yeah, about like 10 or even, I guess, 11 years ago now, I started off as, as a volunteer for a game. So my first like action within the, the gaming industry was to sign up to be a, a so-called super beta tester on the Heroes of Newer for- forums, which was a game by an American company called uh, S2 Games, which a lot of people today probably know the game Dota 2. Heroes of Newer was supposed to be the original Dota 2, so when I came on board, I couldn't be more excited. So I started off by yeah being a regular tester, you could say, like testing the game for free, uh, doing some balance updates, you know, giving my feedback, coming up with concrete ideas. And within a very short amount of time, I ended up uh, being on like regular calls with the developers on a weekly basis, talking about you know, new hero ideas, talking about balance, going over the numbers, actually putting them within the game and testing them. Uh, with other testers to make sure that we had a well-balanced game once it got into the patching notes. Uh, this was, of course, really important because a game like Dota or a game like Heroes of New Earth is a lot harder to design than an average uh, game because you need to balance it for two particular scenes. Uh, one way is that you need to balance it for the competitive scene, and another way is that you need to balance it for the regular consumer, the people you know paying for the game, playing it, uh, and posting feedback. So that's how I started. I was, uh, I believe, 14 years old. It could have been 13 as well. And I ended up becoming, well, the best player within the super beta tester community, which doesn't really mean anything, right? So I was there ignorant to my capacity of actually playing video games and thought that, yeah, I can beat these testers, but whatever. Until one day I was playing an average game in in a matchmaking system. uh, And one of the pro players that I watched reached out to me saying that, hey, I want you to try out for my team. Uh, his name was uh, Insania. He actually plays for Team Liquid in Dota 2 now. So if there's any esports fans in here, he's the guy who found me. And uh, Mika, who's part of that team, I'm the one who found him. So the world goes in a very beautiful circle. 
Um, so yeah, he asked me to play test for his team. The the first team that I participated in as a pro gamer was not that great, not very successful, but it allowed me to be put on the map. Just like in any game can be put on the map for a random occasion or being shown in the right aspect at the right time. Same thing happened for me. Other teams saw me and I ultimately ended up actually starting my own team called Denial Esports, which is the American esport organization that I got us a sponsorship from. And yeah, my career basically started as a pro gamer. And after the first six to 12 months, I also started on Twitch, actually streaming everything that I was doing. And I made an early vow to myself that I wouldn't be like the other pro gamers. I wanted to add a little bit more to the community, like try to help them. So I started creating a series called the educational series, which was basically going in depth into a character within the game and telling people what to do, how to evolve with it, uh, how to get better. Uh, and then coming back to me and suggesting new heroes that I was going to present. Within the next few years to skip ahead, otherwise we'll talk the whole day. Uh, I ended up becoming the best player in the world for four years for Heroes in New Earth. Um, I played professionally for a living. I founded my own company called Sync Esports in Europe, which was an esport organization in which I hired my current team. We played under that umbrella and we worked with sponsors like Cooler Master and a bunch of other major brands attending international events. So during this entire time, I was still in contact with the developers, basically doing consulting work for them, helping them with the balancing, helping them build up the game. And with that connection, I was able to get my first view into Asia. Because during this time period, uh, Garena actually purchased uh, the game from S2 Games, and it became the IP of the, the company nowadays known as Garena. So my consultancy basically swapped from the American company towards the Asian part, which was Garena in itself. And the way it ties together as to, yep, I'm in Thailand, Bangkok right now, lived here for four years, is um, every single year we held the world finals in Bangkok here at Bytech in Bangna. And I basically came here every single year playing with my team. Uh, we came third place, we came second place. Uh, we, I didn't actually win this particular title, which is, I'm still salty about today. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's, that's how I basically continued my business. So. I did that until the age of 20, 21. Most of my work was uh, with Garena and Tencent. And ultimately, I expanded this into my own consultancy business. I moved to Thailand uh, when I was tw 21. So this is about four or five years ago. Uh, actually, I'm 26 now. So I guess it's a little uh, one year off there. And once I landed on, on the ground here, I became the CEO of a company called Neolution Esports which was the biggest gaming peripheral brand and influencer agency, basically, uh, in, all of, um, in all of Thailand. I quickly grew that team from about 12 people to 87 and built us with 16 professional esports teams. And I worked with ambassadors and influencers and models on a daily basis to make sure that we spread our products and, and more about the gaming industry. Simultaneously, I'm going to skip ahead of other consultancy works that I did that is not relevant <laughs> to gaming, because again, we'll talk forever, but I ultimately, ended up working with companies like IGG as well, uh, NVIDIA, which is very involved in gaming, um, and also being a, a consultant for a, a telecom here, where I also did their gaming and their esports strategy. So that brings us to skipping ahead again to going full time into the whole gaming. So I did Twitch, I did YouTube, I did gaming consultancy for about 10 years. Uh, I ended up getting quite tired with it. At one point, uh, two years ago, I had six clients at the same time. And Jay, uh, you guys have both been consultants. You know how consultancy is. So ultimately, I was like, I, I want you know something a little bit more regular, something I can grow with and something I can really build with. And the gaming industry 
you know, it, it's crazy. Again, it's being at the right place at the right time. So I met the founders, Rick and Danny, at a random party at Tokyo Game Show. Uh, it was AppSlyer. And I'm not going to go into the story how I know them, but I met them there. And Rick and Danny basically pitched me the idea of Global Top Round, like what, what it is that we do as a company. And I said that I would love to check it out in person because I'm a person that, you know, once I see something in real detail, I want to know more. I want to get involved. And I attended uh, that event in 2018 in Malaysia. And within the next three months, I came on board as a GTR advisor. And since then, I've laid down my consultancy and I'm now the director of business development for Global Top Round, our investor slash accelerator arm, and G-Round, our uh, platform, uh, which we're building towards a service for developers. So yeah, that's a long story short of how I went from esports into influencer management, into consultancy, into where I am today, which is helping gaming startups of small to medium sizes work with bigger brands, helping them with a bunch of different things, which we can go into more detail later. But yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's who I am and how I got here today. All right, so I'm going to derail us like from the start because sure. you brought up something that's very interesting and. You know, this is what I do on the show. It's like we get sidelined real quickly. When you're dealing with a MOBA or any game, you're talking about balancing the consumer side and balancing the professional side. Shortly, we don't yeah, we don't need to talk for about half an hour about this, but I am curious. How do you even go about pro uh, proposing a new character in something like? Dota or League that has like dozens of them already. How does that process even start? So the beautiful thing about MOBAs is that there are already so many ideas out there that you can kind of like steal smaller ideas from other companies and other and history. So like, you know, gods, Zeus, the Greek mythology, you can steal certain aspects of mythology, characters, religion from other types of games and then come up with something unique and original. And it sounds weird. I'm stealing, but I'm coming up with something unique and original, right? Because when it comes to a game like a MOBA, it's not only the spells they're throwing out, it's their voice lines, it's the acting and the movement of the character, it's how it looks, it's the potential skins you can build it towards because of course, uh, MOBA games are games as a service. So these four aspects are actually what makes a hero unique. It's not just what spells they have, how much damage they do, it's how are you going to build this character's story? How does it fit into the MOBA? How does it make sense? And how does it add something new? So if I add this character into the game now, speaking of balancing towards two sides, right? Will this game change the metagame? And the metagame, for those of you who don't know, means the general strategy of a pro community uh, of what's going on, like how people are phrasing it, the strategies they're doing, that, that's a long story short of metagame. Um, will this add value? If it will, it means it's a really good concept because every now and then you want to shake up the game. You want your users to be like, oh, wow, I did not expect that. Or, okay, now we're doing, using mobile terms, now we're doing tri-lanes. Now we're going three people. Or, in one man, lane. I can't believe they nerfed that. Yeah. Exactly, I can't <laughs> believe they nerfed that. And I, without breaking, because I still have NDAs, of course, forever, but... Uh, a simple way to do it is that we came up with three to six concepts at a time. We tossed them all to our testers, and then we picked one out of those uh, six, and we scrapped the rest. Sometimes there would be two or three that made it through. I can't, because of NDA, say what heroes that I've personally done, but some of the heroes that are in the MOBA games today that you play are actually from me. And the Arena of Valor, the biggest mobile, mobile game in the world on mobile, I have some of my stuff in there as well. So it's just uh, coming up with a lot of dumb ideas, really. Throwing them into temporary assets. So I'm not kidding here. 
at, at some points we had characters that was a teacup. So the character just to not waste, you know, animation design and, and 2D and all this stuff, we just threw in a teacup and then we made the abilities with like uh, you know, reg like paint, basically. Things we can wrap up in two days, sprites, previous assets, just toss it in there. And then we tested the numbers and we tested how it played and if it changed anything. If that went really well, we started designing the character, where it came from, how it's gonna look, um, what are the numbers, what is gonna be the role, and again, how is this going to change the metagame for the pro scene and the uh, <laughs> the public scene? Mobile games are honestly the hardest games to balance. Well, any competitive game really, but especially MOBA because you have a hundred heroes. It's not like 10 Valorant characters, right? It's a hundred heroes. So what we did is, of course, every game has data. If you guys haven't implemented analytics tools in your games, you really should. And the primary thing is that you want a hero to have a win rate between 47 and 55%. That is like the sweet spot. If a hero is between 48 and 52, you're doing an amazing job. It means the hero is generally balanced for the public scene. But to show you a great example in this, and I told them not to do this. So my hero that I was the most famous for uh, was called Ophelia. It's called Chen in Dota 2. I had a 57-0 win streak in competitive play. So that's, you know, like imagine Barcelona beating Arsenal 57 games in a row with that hero. But the win rate of the hero was 38% to the public. So the company said, we need to buff this hero. And I told them, no, you do that, my win streak's going to be 500 to zero. And I'm no, I wasn't the only person that was really good at this hero. There was like five to six other people like abusing it. And that's one of those situations where you got to make a decision of, is this a bad character design? Is this like a flaw design? Or is it just going to be that niche pick that only the pro players can use? Ultimately, what they ended up doing for a while was they tested a more automated micro system because it's a micro heavy character where anyone could play it. But that took away the entire point of the character. And ultimately, they reverted it and they kept it at a low win rate instead. You need to find the middle balance. And in today's world of MOBA games where there's hundreds of characters, it's really hard. So it's all just try and fail. That's the best way to do it. Have a community, you know, a small, we call them super beta testers. Test it with these 50 to 200 people, reward them in some way. And the beautiful thing is, and this goes for indie games too, if you reward your early testers with, you know, like special skins or exclusive codes of the free game, you'd be surprised at how much they want to help you. That's all we did. Like when I started as a super beta tester, I wasn't paid in dollars. I was paid in gold coins, which allowed me to buy everything I wanted in the shop. And when I was 14 years old, that was pretty cool. Obviously later I needed to get paid, but <laughs> as a four, yeah, you, you get what I mean, right? So we're, we're going to pay you in fictional money to buy fictional yeah. stuff. That's the, um, that's a brilliant business model. <laughs> I know, but right? It's, and you're right. I mean, we can sit, I can sit here and ask you questions about this like all day. I'm by no means a professional, you know, on any of these games, but I do decent at a lot of the stuff that, that I play. But it, it yeah. always, especially with a MOBA, it's like you've got a hundred characters. How do you know that? I mean, truthfully, you're not proposing something that's actually already in the game. You know, I mean, you've got so many stuff. So I've always been curious as to how that concept even you know gets gets broached in in the industry so no i don't mind digging more into game design if you want to i mean i, I was a game design consultant right so I, I don't i don't mind it's just not what i do right now but it, it was know, a really fun really, part of my life <laughs> that's not what we got folks here to talk about even though that's what i want to talk about we'll 
We'll probably we, we can we you can just come back and we can talk about that. That's exactly. We'll come back to it. So tell us. Hey, I, I, I was ranked uh, number five in the world for Morlock in the game Tome there for a little bit. I just want to say that I had a lot of freaking hours in that game. Morlock's <laughs> awesome though. We, we actually implemented um, that was also a community idea. So we had one of the some of the super beta testers say, "What if we implement some of the Warcraft three mods into Han?" And we ultimately implemented Warlock. It completely failed, by the way, because I the, the mode that we implemented was a bad version of Warlock, but it was a it was a good concept. So we, we took you know the original Warlock mod, implemented it to Han with our new characters, and we called it Prophet Wars. It was not no great, the character but... is, is Morlock. <laughs> oh Mur Murlock, is it Morlock in, in the game Tome? Oh, sorry. I thought you meant it is Warlock. not. Uh, that's the one where Bruce Campbell did the uh, voiceovers. Like when you lose, he goes, "Smell defeat." You know? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, which I thought was super clever. So, tell us about the accelerator now. Before we get into, because I want to boil it all down to like the most basics. So, tell us what the, the accelerators do, what incubators do. You know first and foremost and what you do, you all do different than everybody else and then we'll get into you know some of the specifics and the advantages and the disadvantages but start from the beginning and this is what you know gtr is and this is what we do and why we do it and, and that part of, that part of it okay so then I'll, I'll see you in two hours when you can talk again okay yeah okay it's all good <laughs> No. Um, okay. Yeah. So before I do that, I just want to nail out some of the uh, the problems that some of the watchers I'm assuming uh, are doing. And the biggest reason for for us existing, like the, the the purpose of all of our companies, but mainly like Global Top Run was our first one, right? Is that we wanted to help startups, in particular gaming startups, of course, grow at a sustainable rate, keep them alive, even if some of their projects fail and help them do the second game, the third game, the fourth game and the fifth game while not taking over their business, while not taking majority and while helping make sure that they don't lose majority or most of their equity. Because a lot of the developers that I talk to nowadays when I attend all these digital events, you guys don't know what you're pitching. You're undervaluing yourself heavily, which is something that a lot of people will take advantage of. And I'll dig more into that later. But global top round, we, we do uh, actually, no, let's go into accelerators first. So there are multiple types of accelerators, incubators, and all of these different things. There are the nice ones and there are the bad ones. So let's go into the nice ones first. So the nice incubators uh, we have, I think there's a, I'll use an example. So Sweden game incubator, I think they're called. What they do is quite simple. You, you join up, it's completely free. They give you access to government funding and they'll help you fly you out to international events with the purpose of this government agency, of course, is to provide exports to the local companies, to the international businesses growing the local startup. There are tons of these incubators. I recommend you work with them. As long as the agreements are simple, there is no contract binding you to them. There is no uh, equity or any sort of things involved in this type of deal. And all you're getting in, in return is benefits do it and I, i'm going to keep it that simple because there are actually a lot of these programs out there and in particular one of the best countries in the world or regions is quebec in canada so to give you an example there quebec has a system where they actually provide 35 percent tax credits back to the company so basically you pay zero percent tax credits uh, on any of your employees on top of that they also provide you up to 70 percent reimbursement for i think 80 something crazy like that where uh they will cover 
80% of all your costs when you travel to an international event. And there is absolutely no strings attached except that you're a company in Quebec working alongside the government. On top of that, the government of Quebec actually flies people like my, me out. So they flew me in to look at these companies locally, talk to them. They did a tour for us. They did a pizza night. And I, I had an amazing time. So I got to give a shout out to the government of Quebec because I think what they're doing is absolutely incredible. And they're not an incubator. They're just a very nice government agency. They're called Invest, Invest Quebec and the uh, Ministry of uh, Economy, etc. They're doing a great job. But there are private companies that are government funded that do similar things. So in Sweden, I think it's called Sweden Game Incubator. I might be wrong in the name. And in other countries, we have similar ones. These ones are there. They are nonprofit. They will help you. They'll help you find connections. They'll help, to, uh, help you to talk to people like myself. And there are no strings. Now, if we go into the second part, it's the IGDAs. There are good IGDAs and bad IGDAs. Some of the IGDAs just charge a an annual fee, usually quite small, like 100 to 500 euros. I can't tell you if your country's is good or bad without talking to you privately, but usually it's a small fee in order for you to get access to a big network, get some local events, fly in some investors, and there is no other strings attached. Personally, I think this is worth taking out of your own pocket. I think it's good for you guys because I am personally talking to all the IGDAs and they're sending me a newsletter every quarter. So that's part of how I source content for the company. And we're trying to work with them on bigger, more efficient ways for them to source local companies to us. Also, again, great. So this is part of the whole incubation side of free, no strings attached. Now, let's start digging into the, uh, the bad ones. So the bad ones are the ones that you know take a lot of revenue share off of you for a very small pre-seed investment, which they sometimes hide in the words grant or uh, you know incentive, where they sign you up for five to 10 years, they take a long revenue share, and they're barely part of your company. A great example of how to spot these imposters that we call them is that they have 500 mentors on their websites. And they, they claim that you're going to get personally consulted on a weekly or bi-weekly bi basis on everything that you need help to. It's a really awful model. Like if this model was a membership fee on an annual basis where you got access to mentors, like, oh, like the two of you, that's a good model. But what these incubators are doing is that they're giving you a small cash influx. They usually take equity and a revenue share, and then they don't do anything for you. They flash these fancy mentor names, and then they leave it at that. Now, there are models of this version that could be good, and we have like a similar model to this, but not that, which we'll uh, also dig into. So anyone that is offering you equity and revenue share, you need to make sure that there is something in it for you that they're adding value, that they're going to be part of your company, strategize your business, or maybe strategize your game, depending on if it's a game or business type of deal. Equity, guys, is something that once you sell it, you can't exactly take it back in the next 12 months. When you sell a portion of your company, you're, you lost that portion of your company. And a lot of developers, you're kind of too quick to be like, oh, yeah, I need $40,000. Let's not think about what my valuation is. I'm going to give it to this incubator. They take 20% and whatever. We we have some of, well, no, we don't have some. We have a lot of these. I just read a recent contract two weeks ago. I'm not going to say the country, of course, where they got a uh, an $80,000. Uh, it was labeled as a grant, and it gave them a 30% revenue share on the entire project, up until five times their investment. I mean, that's absolutely crazy. And <laughs> the thing... And the thing is that some of the indie developers, they don't know that that's a bad deal because all they see is the $80,000 price tag that will be in their bank account to help them develop the game. 
you need to take smart money. So there are lots of these incubators, but luckily most of these incubators end up dying because the, the moment you make your first mistake, the moment that we make our first mistake, which I hope will never happen, that's when we lose credibility. That's when people will no longer apply to us. That's when people will stop listening to my voice and other people in the company's voice, which is why everything we do is transparent because we, we not only want to claim that we're different from these other people, we want you to know, and we're going to tell you in the first meeting exactly what everything is. Like the first time I talked to developers or with you, Jay, you know, I hold nothing back. We're a blunt company. This is what we do. This is what we offer. And this is what we're going to give you in return for this. Boom, done. And then we do it. And then we have, you know, a five years runway now where we have a lot of investments to tell that story as well. But anyway, before we dig into us, um, then we have the the final sort of accelerators, which can be good, can be bad. There are a couple of accelerators out there. I would say that we're now the number one, but, you know, there could be other ones that I've missed that does have a revenue share, but offers a lot in return where they go in and, you know, do a couple of offline events to give you access to a, an investor network. But for me, it's like, if you're a studio and you only want that one-time fee, you know you uh, you want to find money for your game or you want to find equity and equity funding for your company, then why do you need to sign up to an accelerator, right? An accelerator like us is supposed to be a long-term partnership where you work with us for years to come. So if you're talking to an accelerator that is buying equity into your company or revenue share, you need to make sure this is a long-term deal. Because if it's not, then why don't you just sign up an agency? You know, get a consultant. There are so many consultancies out there, Jay, you're a consultancy yourself. So if you just want money or publishers, why don't they just hire you to get this money for them instead or hire another consultant to find the money? An accelerator is something you're going to be sticking with. Incubators are something you're going to be sticking with. The bad ones tie you for a very long time to either your game or your company. The good ones will also tie you, but offer a lot of things in return. So again, I can't you know, single names out because we don't do that. I don't want to talk bad about other companies and their um, and their models. So I'll avoid doing so, but just read the fine print. When you give out equity, make sure this is someone that you're going to work with for a long time. Make sure that they add value to you and make sure that they're not only fancy people on a website because that's how they, most of these guys sell you. They are like, you're an indie developer you they they know how to bite into your valuation they know how to convince you because you see all these big names on there that you're going to sign it and then a couple of years later you're going to regret it and this has happened to some of our own studios before they came on board to us and that's why we're trying to be more vocal attending podcasts and do panels that doesn't actually have anything to do with us just to try to educate developers on how to avoid the situation it, so, it is you've got a really good point because what it's like the downside of the digital world is everybody can go out there and promote themselves you know there's you have more options but you also have with that options they're not necessarily all good options and, and that was exactly the reason the first company that i was at two decades ago we stopped being an agency and transitioned just into being a publisher because hmm. It gets old after a while when you call someone and despite your company's track record and the good work that you know that you do, the, the answer from the developer is, well, agents suck and we've had them before and they were horrible and we just don't want to do that anymore. And the same can be true of, of accelerators and incubators and, and a lot of these other places. You have to realize which ones are good and which ones aren't. And 
having those warning signs is key because your signal to noise ratio out there is just ridiculous. Yeah, and to to dig more into that is like let's take a look at the recent Twitch drama. I'm sure everyone's seen it. All and well, not only Twitch drama, the AAA companies, all the you know, sorry, all the let, let's not go too much into detail, but all the sexual harassment and all of these things going on. The uh, without going into cancel culture and this whole thing, let's just be the the, the tr truth for the moral of the story is that everything you do online, everything you say, everything you show, will be remembered and people will use it against you in the future. And same thing goes in the gaming industry. Like your connections, your network that you're building up on LinkedIn, if you don't have a LinkedIn profile already, you're doing a big mistake if you're in the video game industry, start asking questions. Like what I say sometimes, and I use these exact words when, when a developer is being itchy with me, like, who are you, who have you worked with? I'm like, dude, you, you can go on our website, you can see our entire portfolio, you can contact any of them, you don't have to tell me, and you can just tell, ask them like this, like, how big of an asshole is Pontus? <laughs> just, just ask them. Just go to Dream, like Dream Harvest, for example, one of our UK studios, ask them, how big of an asshole is Pontus? Easy. And you'll get an answer right from the source. It's someone that we invested in 2017. We've worked with them for three years now. We're still working with them. And like, uh, what's the um, verify don't trust? Is that what it's called Yeah. in English? Yeah, verify. Like it doesn't cost you anything to check with other people. And there are a lot of people with, with goodwill in this industry that will help you free of charge. I'll, I'll, I'll do a great example. I myself did this a couple of weeks ago where there was a developer that had developed a game that I grew up with and I met him randomly at an event and I could tell that he, he wasn't hundred percent sure what he was doing. So I just told him, I'll give you some, some free advice, you know, stay away from, so I told him, don't go for these publishers, go for these other ones with the game that you have and be careful of X, Y, and Z. That took me five minutes to write, and I don't mind doing that. And it's the same thing for us. If, you're, if you want to verify GTR, look at all our partners, look at all our studios, verify with other people. Don't trust my words. I can sit here and you know woo you away or try to be charming and tell you this big story about my eSport, and I came from nothing. I was a volunteer. Cool story. You should still verify what, everything that I'm saying. And that, that's something that a lot of people forget. Again, they see the dollar signs, and their eyes go like, woo. I'm going to get the money for my game. And they forget to verify because the fact of the matter is that even though you believe that all these double A and triple A publishers and investors and, and VCs want the best for you, you're forgetting that they're also businesses. If they can make a more favorable, favorable deal towards themselves, they will. They will take advantage of you if you're not verifying, you're not checking with other people, you're not asking for advice. So yeah, that, that's just uh, sorry. I just got off the topic there, but yeah. So what, but no, what it's, it's a very good thing, and, and that's what we tell people. It's it's you <clears> can't <throat> go and ask for somebody's, whether it's a publisher, a studio, or whoever. You can't just go and ask for references because you're going to get the people that they have good relationships with. It's right. Your so own what research. would you tell? What would you tell somebody that like is new to the gaming industry, doesn't know anybody? Like where? How would they go and verify? anything go to the if it's a publisher you go to their website see the games that they published look at who developed the games and reach out directly to the developers that yeah that's sense. that's part of it yes i agree but other than that i would say that you 
we, we have like amazing communities on both Facebook, Reddit, and Discord nowadays. I, I just joined your own Discord today. I didn't know that it was that big, so that's awesome. <laughs> Where you, you have access to all these people. And I actually saw my own studios in your Discord. So our investments are in your Discord as well. So you know, you, you have all of these free resources out there where you can just ask questions and people will try to help you. There are some Facebook groups called like Indie Game Promo and there's like Game Developers, Croatia, all of these different ones. I, I look at these. That's I scout here as well, by the way. So if you're a studio and you're posting in there, people like me will see it. But also I see a lot of people coming in. I just got this contract with these terms. Uh, what do you think? Or like, where do I go to find a new list? And actually, uh, Jay, I'll promote you here because you actually have, you know, a a Powell Group um, a publisher list. Mm -hmm. So that's a great way, you know, to get like a, a huge list of publishers that you can look at. And like Jay said, you can then go and actually look at the games they have and reach out to the people they work with. Because it's the same thing for us. Like I said, the first advice: talk to the people we've invested in. Like, you pick any one of all the fifty uh, we invested in and talk to them. For the publishers, reach out to the studios on the uh, Reddit groups, on the Discord groups, on the Facebooks, ask questions. People will try to help you. At the end of the day, if we exclude the last three months of really bad news drama, a lot of people that I'm sure <laughs> you had you had friends as well. I had friends that I worked with in my eSport career that I never would have you know, suspected this. Um, there is a lot of good people out there. Just don't be afraid to ask. Yeah, people do want people want to see you succeed. Exactly. Uh, I think people are, are too afraid to ask, too afraid to put themselves out there or to think it's too early to show their game or something else. But no, just go out there and reach out. That's what I tell everyone, because at the end of the day, no matter if you're a nobody or not, I mean, I come from esports. So when I transitioned 100 percent into game game development, the first thing I did was I reached out to my previous network and I said, you know, I need these contacts in these companies and I got them that way. I'm lucky enough to be able to do so. If I was a nobody, which I was back in the days, right? I just signed up as a volunteer. I signed up as a volunteer. I started engaging with the community. And every time I got the chance to, I asked questions. I asked for introductions. My first gaming uh, esport event, actually. So my first esport event here in Thailand, the World Finals. You'd imagine me, you know, I was 17 years old. I'm in another country. I have 20,000 fans in this event wanting to take pictures with me and signatures. What did I do? I walked up and asked, who's managing this event? Who in Garena is the manager here? I want to talk to him. And that's how I met someone that became one of my best friends in Thailand, because I just asked to, it was a straight question to a random staff. Who can I talk to here that's managing the event? I want to know more. And that's how I got that input, right? And they, they didn't know who I was at the time, like the staff people, the manager of the thing. Like It's all about putting your, your face out there and trying. And ultimately, people will help you. At least that's how I see it. No, it, it is, but it, and it's the other side of that coin is, you know, like we're seeing in the industry right now. Yes, we're Being taking advantage of. Yeah, well, yes, exactly. But at the same time, everybody knows everybody. If if yes. you are toxic and you you take advantage of people, your position in a company is only going to cover your ass for so long. You know because. Right we can find out, you know, with two phone calls, there aren't a lot of people in the industry that we can't find out about because it is a big industry in terms of revenue, in terms of people, but it's got such a good community that everybody tends to know everybody. And, and when you do something, when you burn a bridge, 
it's going to haunt you because I mean, I look back at, you know, 20 years, it's, it's the people that we were dealing with, you know, at Ubisoft yeah. 15, 20 years ago were QA testers, you know, and maybe a low level producer at that time. Now they're C level. They're the ones that are making all the decisions. And it's in our, it, you can go from tester to lead producer in a matter of two years sometimes. It's not like you have to have this gigantic track record of, you know, stuff. Back in the day when we were running the publishing company, we literally pulled people from behind the desk at GameStop and yeah. put them in as testers and evaluators, and they quickly became publishers because they showed you know a good amount of competence in what they were doing. That's the reason we that's the reason we stole them from GameStop in the first place. People that work at GameStop tend to know games. And you know, now some of them are designers and just absolutely world-class publishers in the industry, but we don't have that standard hierarchy. Like if you go to an ad agency and it's like, okay, you're going to start in the mailroom and then 15 years from now, you might have a corner office. I mean, you go from mailroom to corner office in six months sometimes in this industry. So you just absolutely, you have to verify people, but you have to be well aware of yourself because yes. nobody wants to work with an asshole. That's just the reality of it. No, and it's great that you that you said that story because I, I want to go into my my history a bit very quickly again. Is that's exactly what what happened to me? Like you said, it's about speaking out, being your own person, sticking to it, and showing what you're capable of. So the way that I got my six consultancies in a row, like when I was at my peak, and I you know had a lot of clients at the same time, was all word of mouth. They heard what I did from another one, who heard what I did from another one, and it just like keeps growing up. And you know, at the time, can you imagine being so I was 23 years old when I was sitting in you know the boardroom of the biggest telecom in Asia, uh, presenting my ideas on gaming and esports. You know, like initially they look at you like, why is this kid in here? Especially in Asia where people graduate a bit later here, they do you know their masters, their PhDs. I'm technically supposed to be in school here by some standards, and they look at me when I come in and they're like, Who the hell is this guy? But then after you start talking, after you present that what you've designed, after your ideas come out, the room was completely different. And then that meeting in there led me to another client a couple of weeks later. So yeah, as long as you show what you're capable of, and you, yeah, again, and I love this quote from Sir Action Slacks. I'm not sure if you guys know it, but it's not that hard not to be an asshole. That really is a great <laughs> I quote. I have no, days no. where it's really hard not to be an <laughs> asshole. <It's>, uh... <laughs> No, but just like, you know, being generic, trying to to help people uh, the best way that you can. But of course, and, and this is a big thing too, being taken advantage of doesn't only mean from positions of power, it also means where people will try to use you for free advice all the time, or try to use, you know, your services and don't want to be paid. Uh, and a great example is graphic designers and artists. A lot of people like free samples, I'll promote you in return. Yeah. So pe people do try to take a lot of advantage as well. But it's, you know, the good stories don't really get out there, right? It's like the, fo the stories that we as humans focus on is all the negative ones. We, we focus on, uh, yeah, this bad thing here, this bad thing, this bad thing here, but all the good stuff happening in the backgrounds. Like you mentioned someone like being promoted to a huge position in two years. No one really talks about that, right? We all focus on the negativity. When the, the matter of fact is that we do have a beautiful industry where if you grow as a person, if you put yourself out there, you try to grow your network, 
you are going to grow as a person and you are going to get opportunities you never thought existed. So just to like, okay, so me again, but I was going to be a psychiatrist, okay? So I was studying psychology in school to, to be a psychiatrist. And that was my job. I thought that was going to be my dream. But I took a leap of faith when I was 17 because I was making a lot of money for my esport career. And I ended up, you know, deciding to go into a full-time streaming career. Because of that, I ended up attending the world finals in Bangkok. Because of that, I got connections to Garena and I got connections to Tencent. And then I ultimately ended up moving here because of those. And now I'm in Asia leading a Korean company for investments in games, right? All of this came down to me just pushing forward, showing what I'm capable of, always being vocal and being nice to people and really, really putting myself out there talking and helping as many people as possible. And it might sound weird, but it's not that hard to do that part. It's hard to maybe get into this position. I was very lucky, but, you know, be yourself, put yourself out there. It's so much of your, your own personal reputation and, and <laughs> business can come from simply word of mouth that I don't think a lot of people realize that. It's different when you're a developer or a publisher and selling your game then you've got to have more traditional marketing. But unless you categorize this show that we've been doing for two years as marketing, which it could be, but we've I've never done marketing. I didn't do marketing for the production company that I ran. I didn't do marketing for the Powell Group because it's, mm -hmm. it's all word of mouth. And if you have yeah. a good reputation in the industry, and it doesn't mean you have to be overly polite and help every single person because i mean you can't help everybody but you know if you're straightforward and you know your word is as good as everything else this is one of those industries where that still matters if, if i do repeated calls and, and and conversations and deals with people who constantly promise me one thing and then don't do it or fail to do it or you know the good old bait and switch you stop dealing with them and we've got in our database, we don't publish it, you know, when we send it out and, and the publisher, but there's a whole list of companies in our database that says asterisk do not contact, you know, in it because something that they have done, you know, either to a client or we know of, or there's something in there that red flags them to us and says, that's not a good company to work for. And that doesn't mean we don't go, you know, look at them again a year or two yeah. down the line to see if things have changed. But it, it's that sort of stuff. I know consultants who have been, because you, you mentioned the folks in Quebec. The beautiful thing about our wonderful Canadian neighbors is every province has a program like that. Quebec is yeah. one of the, the bigger ones because they've got so many studios, but literally every province has programs and opportunities like that. And I know consultants who have been blackballed from entire provinces because of shit they've done. And yeah. it, it it's one of those that, yeah, you just absolutely, you have to pay attention and you have to understand where you are in the industry and be cognizant of that because it's, this all comes back around. I mean, it, it's not something that you can continue doing forever. Exactly. And that's, that's a really good point. It's a matter of, you know, knowing your own limits, right? Because you definitely shouldn't be over promising either. And that's something that developers do a lot when you present us with your 
production roadmaps. You're forgetting that some, like, in the, yes, not all VCs, but some investors and some accelerators and some publishers, well, all publishers, you know, we have production teams, right? We can read a production roadmap. We can see your Trello. And when you send us your GDD, lying to us is not going to help. You know, it, I'd rather you see make an optimistic, uh, you know, roadmap and plan. And then uh, worst case scenario so that we can see that you know your own capacities. And it goes into consultancy. And again, like word of mouth, if you say that you're going to do something and you don't deliver on it, that is much worse than admitting that, oh, I'm not capable of doing this. So it yeah. does go both ways. So I talked about all of this stuff of pushing yourself out there, but it's true that you brought in the flip side, which is don't overpromise yourself. Don't say you can do things that you can't deliver. So sometimes, you know, when you grow into uh, in the future, when your network gets bigger, what I do is I might sometimes take uh, deals. Uh, I took some consultancy deals that I knew I couldn't deliver on myself, but I knew that my network could. So I took the cash and I split it between me and the people that I brought in to actually help me deliver the project. So it's that that's you know solving something, that's executing something. So it's not always about you being the one man in the room, the one man in the world that has to do everything yourself. It's also a matter of using your resources or your you know your smartness on how do you execute this idea and how do you make sure that you deliver on the promise that, that you said you would. And this goes into your own team production as well when you're delivering your game. It's a matter of like, you know, what can you do within you and your network and not just always about you as a person. Indie Game Business has one of the longest running digital event series in the gaming industry with hundreds of publishers, investors, developers, and tech companies to meet with. All the sessions are always free to watch forever and you can get a free pass to receive all the slide decks from all their speakers. The tickets for meetings start just at $50. Go to IndieGame.Business and use the code IGBPODCAST to get 20% off your ticket. And, and, and that's a, a very good point when it comes to you know, a lot of times, times, times get lean with any studio, any company. And when that happens, you tend to start doing deals that you wouldn't have normally done and probably shouldn't have normally done. And that's where those situations pop up. But yeah. it's, it's a fine line to walk because, you know, like in your situation, if you've got the resources and the network to actually do it, and you know you're not over-promising in this thing, it's a wonderful way to continue to grow your business and you know have some additional revenue coming through in the meantime. But you also don't necessarily know where you are and what you can handle until you can't handle it. And I learned that lesson directly five or six years ago. You know, we were working with a, a group of trade organizations and you have to apply, you know, to, to work with them and all this stuff. We didn't know which deals we were going to get. And we applied to two of them and ended up getting two of them. So all of the sudden we were managing 20 some people, 20 some companies, you know, at GDC. And it was absolutely overwhelming and that we came back from that show and went okay that didn't go 
you know, as well as we wanted it to for us and for some of the, you know, people that we were there working with and we're done. We're not ever doing that again. And <laughs> you have to, sometimes you have to go a little further than you normally would and put your neck out there and figure it out where that spot is. But when you fuck it up, you know, like we did way back then, you have to own it too. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah we, we completely overestimated, you know, what we were doing here. And, you know, it resulted in a, a wonderful new um, mantra that has been here ever since of, yeah, we ain't never doing that again. No, nah, not <laughs> done. Yeah, because I mean, the best way to learn is to fail, right? That, that is what it is. You got to, yeah. but you got to pick your battles. So that, that definitely. But no, that, that's again a, a good flip side point that don't, you know, you don't always know if you're going to be able to do it unless you're actually there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, own it 100%. Every mistake that I've ever made has been owned, and every mistake that we hopefully won't make with GTR will be owned. And that's why, again, we, we work around transparency. Because no one is perfect. Uh, you'll never be able to hold up every end of the bargain. And yeah, I guess we never really got into talking about what we do different at CTR. Well, yeah, so, right, so, so that's <laughs> the, the, two, the two big questions. You know, yeah. what is it that makes you all stand out? And then also, what is it that you look for in, in companies when they're applying? Okay, that's... Uh... All right, so I'll do the first one. Um... What is it that we do different? A lot of things. So uh, number one, technically we're not an accelerator or an incubator or an investor really. We're kind of like a hybrid of everything. So we, we have a systematic process. So I'll, I'll take the system first. So yeah, number one, I travel a lot. My, my co-founder travels a lot. We go to all these events, same as you guys, same as the developers. That's where we meet you face-to-face. -face. And if we meet you face-to-face, -face, you know, we'll just go right into hand. This is what we do. This is what we provide. And then we'll ask you to apply uh, online. We work with the governments, as I mentioned already, they act as a funnel for us. And we also do some workshops offline to help the industry. So that's the number one thing. We have workshops uh, for two weeks where we go into a region. It's not like a for-profit where we charge an enormous amount of money for it. It's where we go to scout. So we sit down with 10 to 15 startups. We work with them over two weeks and we teach them everything over these two weeks. We have individual consulting sessions, we have groups, we have speaker sessions, where we go into how you build your company from here in a short but sustainable fashion. Because there are smart ways and dumb ways to grow your company. A dumb way is to take in $2 million, for example, when you're not ready for it, and then you just waste it. Um, but that's, so that's number one, we do like uh, workshops like that. But ultimately, all of this here that we're doing in the back end to scout, to find you guys, to talk to you, have meetings online, ultimately ends up in a huge batch of companies. So we had 310 companies last year applying to our program. And once once happens after this application period is that we go over all the material that you sent, which I'll go into question two, what that really is more. But all this material, we dumbed it down to about 50 companies. We play all of your games over a two-week period, so every single one. And then we bring them down to the top 20. Now, these top 20, the first thing that we do is that we pay for your flights, we pay for your hotel, and we invite you to the offline annual conference that we run. We want you to fully focus on your company, on your pitch, telling us your story, what you're building this company into, and not have to worry whether or not you can cover these $2,000 not in your company budget. So we make sure that we, yeah, and that happens because we work with studios in Latin America and Southeast Asia, which budgets are smaller than the average American or European company. So that's a very simple thing that we can do, of course. 
So once you come to this event itself, what we do different again is we have 20 companies here. Only 10 of you will actually ultimately end up in our accelerator, but we wanna make sure that you get value regardless. So it's a two day event, it's private. We only invite our own teams, two people per studio, so 40 people there. And then we bring in 30 to 60 publishers and investors from our network. Now, the reason we do this is for, for two reasons. Number one, it's that we want these publishers and investors to see you at a stage where you're not ready to sign with them yet, but they can meet you, see you face to face, talk to you, have beer with you, etc. And six months later, they can see how much you have improved, how much, how better, how much better is your game? What's your deck looking like? What's your future plans? What's your like, you know, your growth? All of this they'll be able to see three, six, nine, twelve months later, depending on your company strategy. Number two is that if you're not one of these 10 companies that actually end up getting our investments, again, we still want you to have some value. So if we don't pick you, you now had 30 to 60 investors and publishers that saw your pitch live and met you. And I'm gonna use a live example again, because this just happened. So we had a studio in 2018, Coffee Nuts with a game called Spaceline Crew. They ended up not being a top 10. They signed with one of those publishers a year later. So, uh, yeah, Bill, Bill Skystone Games just picked up the game. So one of the guys that we're talking to. So we want to be make sure that everything that we do, the workshop, uh, the online meetings, this annual conference, you always get something in return. Like I told you, Jay, for this podcast, what do you, you know, is there anything in particular you your audience want us to listen to? Because we don't want to go into anything where it's like GTR. This is what GTR does. We want to go into something. This is what GTR does. And this is what our partner wants or what our partner does or what our, what they have. And another great example of that is that with these governments, we, we go to these events and we pitch non-GTR stuff. I did an influencer marketing speak uh, speech at Big Festival in Brazil, which had nothing to do with GTR, to 300 developers telling them how do you design a better influencer slash ambassador program and how do you work with them. Out of the goodness of my heart and I can scout companies at the same time. So it's always a win-win when we do something. That, that's something that not a lot of other accelerators do. They think a lot about themselves and how they can involve big fancy names. Go to our website, there's not a bit lot of big fancy names. We have our core staff and we have a couple of advisors. There's not 50 people on our website. We're transparent, you have access to these people, you can talk to them. And that's the second thing, we talked about accelerators before, they're not transparent, we are, you have access to these people. Thirdly, Yes, we provide investments and uh, I won't go into all the full numbers here, but we have a three-stage process where we give you a bit of funding in the beginning and then you get some extra funding after a couple of milestones. And thirdly, we'll raise a larger round for you with a very good angel network that we've gathered. And usually this angel round is meant as a bridge gap, like a bridge round before investors and publishers gets involved. So we give you the funding you need to finalize your vertical slice or the demo to a point where we can bring in an angel group so you can perfect your product to the point where we'll present you directly to the publishers and the investors. And here's the best part, which other accelerators don't do. We take over the entire business side of yours. And that may sound scary. What, you're gonna do my business? You're my new CEO? Yes and no. So we come in as you know, co-CEO, co-CFO, whatever you wanna call us, and we help you with all the contracts. We help you with negotiations with publishers and investors. We do the amendments and all of this but you have all the decisions. So we don't have any decision-making power over you as a studio. You can say no to us, you can say yes to us, you can ask questions. You can be like, why, why did you say that Pontus? I don't agree. 
everything is a two-way win-win relationship where we make sure that we work together. And uh, we, you have access to our entire portfolio of investments. So we run our whole company through Discord. We love Discord, think it's amazing. And all of our investments is in a GTR Discord channel where you guys have access to each other, where we talk about you know, your company growth strategy, game development, as I have game design background, publishing strategy, investment strategy, fundraising. So investment and fundraising, two different things here. I'm using it as different words. Um, and yeah, we help you for years to come. And we will always be minority shareholders in your company. We don't have any clauses that binds you to us forever. We don't have anything that will say that you need to work with GTR for 10 years. So if you're not comfortable with us, you don't think we're doing a good job, we can cancel like our relationship. Yes, we still have equity, of course, and we hope this never happens. And to give you a live example again, 47 investments, no one's canceled the agreement so far, no one said no to working with us. We've had a couple of minor exits, but we have not had anyone be like, oh, I don't like you, GTR. Which is why, again, we say, talk to any of our studios, whether we exited or not, you know, ask them. So that's the long, yeah, long story short is that you get money from us in equity investments, always minority shareholders. Okay. So we don't take majority. There's nothing that binds us to majority, nothing that forces you to work with us for the next 20 years. No weird clauses, simple standard contracts. Number two, we take over all your business side. If you want to focus on your game, so you could be one of those founders or a team of six people that you just want to develop your game. Great. Let me take care of your business for you. Once I have a deal, once I feel you're ready, let's work on your deck. Let's set up a round and let's get it done. Real life example, we raised 300,000 euros for a German studio four months ago. We are currently raising uh, $200,000 for an American studio of ours, which is in process as well. So all of this is always ongoing and we try to work with as many of our uh, studios as possible. And thirdly, and we call this kind of like the, the, the back door, right? So Jay, I'm sure you have the same. And it's like, if we call some of these major AA or AAA publishers, they're gonna pick up our phone. Because we built our entire brand by word of mouth, we spent zero dollars in marketing for 300 applicants. We simply just called you know, NetEase, which is one of our partners, Nexon, NeoWiz, all these guys. And we just called them up and say, you know, I have this awesome project I wanna pitch to you. Can we set up a time? And in the last two weeks, I've had 15 pitches with that American studio to different publishers and investors. So we have that backdoor where if we call one of our partners, they're gonna pick up and they're going to attend the pitch. And not a lot of people have that network. And that's what's really important to us. So that we wanna act as your pre-seed investors that gets you to the series A, to the series B, to your exit. That's who we wanna be. And we're part, of, part alongside you this entire way. So that's why, again, there is no other accelerator that Dust is out there that offers all of these different services that takes care of you the way that we do and that introduces you to as many people as we do. And that's why we're, yeah, we're proud to say that in our opinion, at least now, we haven't seen a competitor. And we hope, we're, we welcome it though. We would love more people like ourselves that are the, you know, the dumb initial money, right? That comes in and makes developers' dreams come true. And as a final word, I'm going to use one final example. Sorry for talking so much. Is I, I love this studio. We have a studio called Road Snail in Brazil. When we invested in them in 2017, there were two people. They're now 20 plus. You know, that that's amazing. We, we want all of our companies to start somewhere and grow to that really big size. And that's what we live for. That's what we want to keep seeing.
Yeah. It, it is. And I had someone tell us like, tell us recently, it's like, there's not a lot of companies that do what your company does. It's like, yeah, I don't run around screaming that because it sounds ridiculously arrogant, but there really aren't. And if you have that combination of, of network and know-how and empathy, basically, because you do you and I get involved in projects many times around the same time. It's early, they're not quite there yet. They need help. It goes beyond being able to understand what that studio needs to be successful on, on a business aspect, which publishers to pitch it to, you know, what things to focus on in a pitch deck, all that kind of good stuff. But it goes to understanding the road, the hurdles that they have right now in their pipeline. It's like, so why aren't you going to more events? Why aren't you pitching more? Why aren't you building your community? And it generally nine times out of 10 comes down to bandwidth. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's a small studio. Their lead engineer is their lead business person. Their lead artist is their business person. And they don't have, you know, the capacity to do this right. And it's where it is important to be able to bring in the right people, whether it's a consultant or an accelerator or what have you. One of the hardest lessons I learned, you know, starting my first company was when you have to step back and say, I've got to get somebody else's help. I can't keep doing this all on my own. And it's not an easy step to take because it's like, well, I've been doing all this on my own and I've been fine. And it's like, well, yeah, okay, now you're growing and yeah. you, you, you're going to need someone's help or you're going to try to do too much and the wheels are going to start falling off the wagon, you know? So yeah. Yeah, sorry. No, it's it's, no, it's, no, it's like it's about it's about finding the right partner, right? It's like we we want to make sure that all of our studios get the, the thing that they need, and because we all have very um, we don't have time to go into all of our backgrounds. But you know, I have my background. Rick, our co-founder, has his background. Our founder, Danny, has his background. We we all have our different types of expertise so that we can tailor our program to you. Because like you said, some of our studios came to me, and after they we signed them and invested in them, they were like, "All right, Pontus, uh, I'm going to develop the game. You do what you want. Do what you do." Come back to me and i was like okay sure I'll, I'll take care of the business while others are like oh i want to be cc'd in every email i want to be updated but i'll let you do the talking and everything and also i would like to have uh, a game design call with you so i just went over uh, one of our gdds and one of our storyboards a couple of days ago with one of our studios and we'll do that right so it's it's not a matter of where we we're going to come in and you know intrude on everything that you do it's a matter of us setting up a pipeline of this is what you want from gtr and uh, this is what we're going to be doing. And here is the ultimate end game. And that's how we work with our companies. And like you said, it's, you know, finding those right people, the, the bandwidth is really hard, especially in the beginning. Um, and I, I honestly don't have enough experience myself to really teach you how to find those people in its infancy. What I can say, of course, is that there are a lot of people like, well, like yourself, Jay, like us out there. And it's all about just you know spreading your wings, posting about your game on Reddit. Like we're everywhere, right? I'm I don't know how you do your sourcing, Jay, but you know I'm in Reddit, I'm on Discord, I'm on Facebook, <laughs> I'm everywhere. And I see a cool screenshot, I send it to my team. I'm like, guys, 
this looks awesome. Please look into this for me. <laughs> then, but most days I don't good, know right? how I do all my sourcing, so it's perfectly <laughs> fine. It's uh, <laughs> but it's it's part of getting into this industry as a gamer versus getting into it like out of business school or I have a marketing degree. I'm going to go into this. You, yeah. I originally got started not because I knew the first damn thing about business because I didn't. I, I, but I knew what made a good game. It's like that looks cool. We can do something with that. That sort of stuff. Yeah. So I want to say real quick. I mean, we are getting shortage on time. If right. you've got questions, <laughs> that's what we're here for. Whether you're on Twitter, LinkedIn, Twitch, YouTube, Link, Facebook, wherever you are, if you've got questions for Pontus about accelerators, incubators, how to propose new MOBA characters in an oversaturated <laughs> market, whatever we want to talk, you want to talk about, put it in chat. Uh, we'll see it. Uh, on, on our thing, and we'll get it answered answered live for you. So, when so here's here's my question. You do no, wait, these... be, before you answer uh, ask me your question. Maybe I should. I forgot to answer your second one, which was how do we look for? Oh, no, 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 I'll, get, I'll get to that one. But that, okay. that's, that's phase two of, of what <laughs> I'm, I'm interjecting my own selfish question before I get to the one for the, okay. for, the for the viewers. If you're doing these roundups or these applications mm -hmm. once a year are you concerned about opportunities that you're missing out on because they weren't ready or the timing wasn't right yeah you're you're pouring salt into the wound right now because it just literally happened to me um so the as a matter of fact again we have two companies we've been focusing on global top round today which was the point but the, the, the good thing about the second company that we're building G-Round is that it's allowed us to up our staff a little bit. Any VC, any investor, any accelerator will always be a very small team. So the answer to your question is that before, when I came on board, we were only five people. Like that, we were the five people running the, uh, the entire accelerator. Now with our second service that we're building up, it's allowed us to expand to a total of 18 now in total over the two companies, which means I can steal resources from the other team when I need help. I couldn't do that before. So when we were five, it was very hard to get projects during this interim session of, you know, now we invested, now it's 10 months until we do it again. So what we are designing right now, and this is for all of you out there, is, is if you do want to work with someone like us, we are currently working on a way to still work with awesome projects until the investment. So we will not change our model. We will not change our system. We're still going to do the annual conference. But again, if there is a game that, you know, and again, it happened, I was like, guys we need this game it's awesome like i told my team i want to sign this how can we sign this now and uh ultimately they found someone else which is what i knew was going to happen because it was too good not to sign um and as of that moment we started putting out this second model which is more of a we call it a, a performance contract i'm not going to go into it too much in detail here but what it is it basically allows us to get to work right right away on more of an agency's like finder's fee model, which we don't like, we don't want to do it that way, but at least it allows us to, you know, find really cool projects that need people like us to come in, help them find a publisher, help them find investment without interrupting our actual accelerator program. This is still a work in progress. And we, we, we're we not an agency guys, we're not a consultancy firm. We, we have our, uh, you know, our, our program. So what we're hoping this will do is, is if we find a studio, you know, let's say in, yes, yeah, so I found this other one in uh, in May, I think. 
So I found them in May. So what I would like to do then in the future for companies like that is that our company signs them maybe a month or two later after talking and negotiations, which will lead them into the top 20 of our events. So we have this interim period where we work together, we get to know each other, which will also be really helpful whether or not they want our investment, right? Because we'll start getting friends, we'll start becoming partners, and they'll be able to just be like, oh yeah, I love GTR, let's get into a deal together. And we can just sign this right away after they become a top 10. So yes, we have missed, up on our, missed out on opportunities in the past, and we hope this will stop us from doing so. Yeah. So all right, we've already got questions coming in too. Yeah, we got a couple questions. I'll, I'll hit yeah. one up. Okay, uh, here's one from Andras on Facebook. Do you work with one-man studios? Uh, that's a great question, and I'm really sorry to say, as of this year, we decided not to. So we, okay, let me put it this way. If your game is good enough, I don't care if you're one or 15 people, okay? So there is that exception where everything comes down to how, how well of a game that you develop. So yes, we can. But we have worked with one-man developers in the past. And the biggest issue with one-man developers is that you don't have this, uh, I don't know what it's called in English, but it's called ballplank in Swedish. It means you don't have someone to just bounce ideas off all the time, like the goods and the bads, right? Because you're going to make mistakes. Everyone does. And when you're at least two people in a studio, you always have another opinion that's going to be there, say yes, say no. You're going to work together, come up with something uh, that might be different to that than what you originally intended. And when you're one person, you don't always have that, you know, ball plank, as we call it in Swedish, where you kind of like get ideas into your head of, okay, this is wrong. So we try to stay away from one man developers, but pitch me your game. Uh, we can consider it. Yeah. Yeah. He says, uh, I'm alone in my company, but all the others were freelancers. That's why I'm asking. Oh, no problem. So then if I were to read your pitch, I would be expecting your pitch to have, I'm going to hire these freelancers full-time after I get funding, as an example. So if you're if you're looking for money, someone like, like you're looking for my money, you obviously have a company plan, or at least I hope so. And in that plan, you should have your future staff requirements. So if you already have freelancers, that's a great thing. I love companies that come from, you know, the, uh, well, sorry, we love companies that come from the um, outsourcing period. You've, you've put in your own money, you consult clients, you take that money, you develop your game, you take that money, you develop your game, you have freelancers. That's a great story. So yeah, no, that's totally fine. All right. We got another question right here from Skirbinson on YouTube. Uh, do, do games need to be at least 60% complete with a working demo or already soft launch to work with GTR? See, this so is I, where we get into the what you're looking for part. I knew this would work out. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So then I'm going to answer the full question and not just yours, uh, Mr. Skirvinson. Um, but uh, we do everything except VR and AR right now. We, we're taking a break from that and we're not interested in these projects. So if you have one of those, we're, it's just a no-no. Um, you Again, there are exceptions, so you can always pitch it, but generally. Uh, other than that, yes, our website says 60% because we prefer to do so. Because again, we're coming in there to help you grow the company like in a sustainable rate, but rapidly, much faster than what you're doing now. Getting us on board should mean that you grow from your, you know, your two people like Rogue Snail to 20 in the next three years. So it took them three years to go from two, two and a half, so two people and a freelancer to 20, and now we've signed like major publishers uh, with this game. So that's what we want every company to be. And if you come to me with a game that has 10% completion and you're gonna work on it for five years, then what do you need a business guy like me for? 
I'm supposed to like, you know, me, Rick on all of our business teams, we're supposed to come in and help you grow the company. So if your game is too early, we can't help you because the whole game design part that I can help you with, it's not technically one of our services. Yes, I do it. Yes, I'm involved in the GDDs. Yes, I help you, but it's technically not what we do. So it's just something that I'll, I will do to help you. But we're not a company that does your game design for you from 10% to 80 and helps you develop it, right? We're business, all business. Imagine us letting you focus on your game. So don't come to us with a 10% completed game. At least have you know an MVP, a vertical slice, something. And again, like I hate saying 60% or you need X or you need Y because there are always exceptions in the gaming industry. If I really see what you're trying to develop, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll take you in. Right. Um, but yeah, MVP vertical slice, something minimum, we need to have something to play and we need to have a timeline. So yeah, what, what else do we need? We need your deck, you know, we need your company profile and we don't have time to go into how you should structure those, but as much information as you can present to us, I want to play your game. I want to see who you are, what your background is. And just because you didn't work for EA for 10 years doesn't mean I'm not going to invest in you. You know, we, we don't care too much about your whole AAA background. And then I want to know what you want to take this into. We come in and we buy a portion of your company and we're going to work with you for three to five years. So I want you to have a company plan of what you're going to be expanding this business into so that GTR, our company can figure out how we can help you reach that end goal of whether or not you want to exit or M&A or IPO or whatever you want to do. All right. Uh, so Andres asked again, what about early access games? Oh, yeah, sure. No problem. Uh, we have two. Or I think we have two early access games that we invested in. Uh, so if you already have an early access game, you have data to show us, and it's even easier for us to say yes. Um, sure. I mean, that's a very easy answer, but yeah. <laughs> but but it's a it's an answer that gets a lot of different. It's a question that gets a lot of different answers because we still, I mean, it was much worse two or three years ago. We would send a project out to publishers and they were like, oh, it's an early access. It's already been launched. We're not going to touch it. Now it's not as much, but I would easily say still 30, 40% of the publishers that we send stuff to don't want to, don't want anything that has been in early access. And the rest of them, the first question they ask is how many wish lists do you have? So it's, yeah, <clears throat> sorry. It's, it's changed a little bit over the last few years. Okay. So let me expand on the, the question. And so, um, yes, we don't mind early access, but of course there are, those opinions as well, because I'm going to ask you for wish lists too, if you have published it on Steam and you've done some marketing and it is going to be a factor. But I actually haven't had the same, Global Top Run is a global company, but we do have a, a, a lot more um, access in Latin America and Asia. So maybe our publishers think a little bit different. I have, we of course have partnerships with NEU too, but we haven't recently in the last 12 months had anyone say no to early access games. So we have two games we're pitching right now, which are in early access, and it's never been a problem. But again, Jay, when someone does have it on Steam, I will ask you, the publisher will ask you all the data that you have, wish list, you know, some page views, the whole thing. So it, that is the drawback of having an early access game. But if your data is amazing, it's, of course, uh, a positive thing as well. I had a game uh, pitched to me three months ago uh, which only had a small demo on Steam and had their page up and had 80,000 downloads or something. Um, 
and 700 positive reviews, 9.5 out of 10. That's awesome. You know, like that's a very good metric for us to be like, yeah, we want to work with that studio. So I guess as Jay is saying, it could be good. It could be bad for us. It comes down to the game. You can't ever not put your game in early access because you're afraid somebody's going to turn it down. That's the, yes, the main 100%. thing I want to you know, iterate. There's always somebody out there who could be interested. And you shouldn't be hamstringing your own game because you think, you know, well, XYZ publisher won't look at it. Well, the reality is if they won't, they probably weren't a good fit for you anyway. You know, yep. you as an NDF, you have to be constantly living that plan for the worst, hope for the best scenario. And plan for the worst is you're going to end up self-publishing this title. So you need your own metrics. You need your own community. You need to be doing your own marketing. Hope for the best in the fact that you're, you're talking to investors, you're talking to you know folks like GTR, you're talking to publishers. But don't ever like, don't put it on early access because you think somebody's going to turn you down. Now, you can not put it on early access because it's not ready for early access, but that's a whole different story. Yeah. So what? Any more questions? Yeah, was, was there any other question? That's why I was waiting for. <laughs> sure, there's one where Andra says, then how about 24K Whistlers? Is that wishless? And the 78% review rating. Does it sound good? I mean, at, at this point, Andres, it seems like you should just send me an email, you know. And, yeah, I'll, I'll take a look. <laughs> I think we can continue this conversation. Post it, in Andres, post it here in chat so we can all, like, you know. Look at uh, the game. Break it down live. because Yeah, I want to see what the game is. If, if, yeah, now if I'm you, super curious. If we don't like it, we'll tell you. There's no problem with that. I mean, that's, a, that's a good aspect of it. Um, so... What Send are us all 20 keys and yeah, really... <laughs> Need your mother's maiden name and your social security number too while you're at it? Yeah, please. So what's your what's your goal for the for the rest of the year, Pontus? What are you looking for? You know, from here out. Uh, yeah, we we are still looking for. I'll, I'll say this. We're getting way too many puzzle game applications. I'm not really super keen on puzzle games right now, but again, you have a good game, you can pitch it, but there is an excess, like an, an excessive amount of, of puzzle games in the market right now. It's a very saturated, uh, saturated market. So it's gonna be very hard to pitch us to actually invest in a puzzle game. I would prefer to see something that's either unique, you know, you can have a new genre or maybe a blend or a completely different art style. Like I love games that come in with something completely new uh, with like different colors or, um, well, for example, one of our games, the Stray Blade is a German studio. They came in and they gave us a demo with amazing combat. So the demo was all based upon, you know, this is how the combat will look and nothing else. There was no narrative uh, when they gave us the first demo. There was no massive tutorial. It was like many tutorial of buttons and the combat. And this is what we're going to base the game around. And we, we loved it. And yeah, we, we invested in them and they're one of our studios now. And because they they showed us what they're really capable of on the game mechanic side and that was enough for us to say like 10 out of 10 you know like really really good then of course the company pitched etc but i want i want you to show us what you're good at 
And I, I'm sorry, Jay, but your question about like, what are we looking for? It's really broad because the, our company strategy is the gaming market is forever changing. Right now it's battle royale, battle royale, battle royale, right? But there will be a point where market the market changes and the trends shift and we see new types of games, new types of genres. So we want to have a portfolio that has all different types of genres with companies and people from all over the world. So we get different unique cultural aspects into the game as well. So there is a game that we we have we did not sign, but I personally loved called No Place uh, for Bravery in Brazil. It's a it's an amazing game if you guys Google it. The two D like Dark Souls is style with a story, um, uh, top down, and I absolutely loved that game because it was very unique and there's not a lot of them out there. So come to us selling you and what you want to build the company into rather than just the the project like. This is your current game, and this is the next game, and this is what you want to build your company into because we're going to be the ones there helping you get all this money for all of your games and helping you grow as a company. So we want to learn more about you as the developers and the people. And again, I don't, we don't care too much about your AAA backgrounds or uh, working for major companies rather than what are the pet projects you worked on? Well, did you release a small game? Did you, you and your buddies uh, outsource your services to another company? Like... Tell us more about you, your developers, and what you're building. Focus on yourself uh, as people first, I would say, because we, we're too broad, Jay. I'm sorry, I can't answer that question where it's like, you know, I, I want RPGs. <laughs> that's the way, and it's why, you know, I, I had a little snicker when you said we don't want VR, but we're open to VR because everybody that has a VR and AR game are going to feel like they're that one that's going to change your mind. You know, and so we see the same thing when, you know, we ask publishers, it's like point blank. So how much do you want to invest in a game? And they'll go, yeah. well, up to half a million dollars. But if it's something really unique, it'll be more like that doesn't what you're saying is you're only really going to invest half a million dollars. It has to be, you know, something ridiculous, you know, to, to move you past that. Um, yeah. All right, so we got the. I pulled up the Steam page, and oh, okay. before we look at anything else, and I'm, this is not a reflection of anything other than your Steam page, I will tell you the thing that's going to hurt you the most is where it says recent reviews mixed. Whatever reasoning is behind that, it's that that publisher mentality, the same mentality that I have. You know, you look at it before you start deep diving into the reason, and it's like, oh, wait, ooh, that's a mixed one. It's just one of those dangerous red flags on a Steam page that you want to get fixed as soon as possible. Because overall, you're mostly positive. That's good. But yeah, I actually can't. Where's the Steam page? Was the chat was this in? Was this in Facebook? Because I'm on Twitch. Sorry. Um, well, if you're watching on Twitch, you may not have seen it. It depends on what's everything, what everything's doing. Hold on. I'll it's, yeah, it. it's Computer Tycoon on Steam. Ah, Computer Tycoon. Thank you. Yeah, sorry, Jay, to interrupt you. You go ahead. I don't know. No, no. You know, what I'm saying is it's, it, when you get that mixed flag on, on your Steam page, it's going to initially turn a lot of people off. Fair or not has nothing to do with it. It's just instinct. It's like there's a lot of stuff on here that isn't, you know, a mixed review. They're mostly positive, that sort of stuff. And that's what they're, you know, that's what they're going to gravitate to. So 
I would first recommend look at why you're getting those and do your very best to get in more positive reviews, address those issues and get that label lifted back up into the blue versus the yellow. Yeah, because actually, interestingly enough, and this is a metric that, that we look at as well, is that most of your negative reviews actually have almost 10, 10 hours or more in your game already, which means that you've already hooked them into your game. They obviously yeah. have some kind of connection to it, and they don't think it's too bad. They just get to a point where they get frustrated for something that you've designed. So all of these reviews that I'm looking at right now, I mean, there's like eight out of 10 of the negative reviews have more than 10 hours. It means that it's a flaw in, in your game design most likely and not a problem about you know like the actual core gameplay because if the core gameplay was an issue then people would drop off way sooner so i don't what this tells me is that these reviews can be flipped to a positive again with future patches mm -hmm. and that's good if i saw like only negative reviews like half an hour two hours i'd be like okay you know we, we have a, a fundamental issue here but yeah scrolling down they all have 10 plus hours so your game is there, there is potential to to make it better, and there's a potential to change these reviews for the positive. I always love it when it's like, yeah, I would not recommend this game to anybody. Hours on record, ninety two. It's like, <laughs> yeah, that's. that's funny. <laughs> it's like, okay, that's, you know, your top review on there. Yes, it's an overall negative, but it also has an asterisk that says it's under review again, and that person spent 16 hours in that game. There's a lot of finished games that don't have 16 hours of gameplay in it. So yeah, yeah. It, it's not necessarily that you've got a bad game, but there's something, like Ponta said, it's in the design side that is flipping people in that zone somewhere. And the sooner you can address that and get that mixed label back up to a positive again, the better off you're going to be all the way around. We yep. did get an awesome uh, question here from Mr. Cookie. Mr. Okay. Cookie says, uh, what are some, some of the things or red flags you look for whenever someone pitches? I mean, I, I think nowadays, first of all, if you don't know how to make a pitch, it's okay. A lot of people don't. And actually, Raw Fury has a great guide on their website. I don't necessarily agree with everything in Raw Fury's guide, but if you Google Raw Fury Pitching Guide, that's a great start. I don't like their model 100% again, but it gives you a good baseline. Now, in terms of like red flags, it's like when, when you come in and, and you put you know your entire company in like 15 slides uh, of, uh, of, of who, who you used to be, what games you worked on, what the company is, how much money you're looking for in the beginning. I'm like, are, are you selling, you know, you and your amazing backgrounds or the game itself? Like we, we want to see this is your current project and this is what you're going to be building it towards. And this is how much money you need and what you're going to use that money on. A lot of the time I see 1 million euros and okay, I'll, I'll use an exact example. Actually, a week ago, I was attending a digital event and there was a pitch that said 1 million euros and eight staff. So doing some quick math here, that's very high salaries for a company that needs money to actually make this game. A red flag for me is when you ask about a lot of money with a very small amount of staff and you're not telling us how you're going to be spending it. Like, you know, if that was break, broken down to QA this much, assets this much, this that much, I could be like, okay, they're paying themselves 40K a year or whatever. Makes more sense. But 
you're asking for investment into a project that you don't know is going to succeed. You can't pay yourself over a hundred K a year. Like you can't come to us and say that you need a million dollars and you're paying 10 staff, hundred K a year. So like achievable salaries and achievable budget plans is our biggest red flag when that like, how are you budgeting down the game and how are you going to be spending it? Th those slides for me are, are like really the most important ones as an investor. Now, as someone who's just interested in games in general, it's like, what are you looking for in a partner? A lot of the times I just see pitches that are company, game or gaming company, whatever order, but you don't say what you need from a partner. It's like, you just need the money. We publishers or people like us, we're supposed to work with you as a partner. We wanna know what we can give to you in return for you know the money that we provide. And a publisher needs to understand who is going to be their point of contact how is this whole process going to be working and you know like who is assigned to who but instead you're just telling us half a million dollars 12 months of development eight people budget slides are the biggest red flags of, of all pitches that we read because it really shows us if you know how to actually manage money because if you're asking for 200k a half a million dollars or a million dollars you should know what you're going to spend it on how it's going to be spread out and who you're going to be hiring Otherwise, you shouldn't be asking for money to begin with. So I think that's the biggest red flag that we have. The second thing is when you, you just have a bunch of screenshots and no real explanation to what these features are. Sometimes I have you know two screenshots or one, and then four bullet points with a couple of words, multiplayer, 2v2, co-op, $29.99. OK? So there's nothing about your USPs. There's nothing about why you're going to be, who are you creating this game for? Is it a demographic or is it a type of user? Are you targeting mobile players? Are you targeting RTS players? Like I, I wanna see who, who your customer audience is. Like you should know that because if you're just developing a game because you love Metroidvanias or whatever, that's not a business investment. I You should be knowing that I am targeting RTS players because my game has this. That's that's a green flag, but a red flag is just your uh, your use piece, but no explanations as to why. Also, competitors. What are similar games in the market? How many copies have they sold? It's not. It's a really bad baseline, but it gives us an idea of. Okay, when you developed a game, you saw these three titles, and you try to create something that was different. So it shows us that you have a little bit of a business mind as to creating something new and fresh while you know scrapping off some of the user base from this these other titles so yeah i guess that's i have more than that but i'll continue forever um we're, we're getting place. short on time yeah exactly so it's because like it's one it's late for you and and two it's um <laughs> i'm hungry um, <laughs> um but i mean yeah you can Pontus is on our discord so i mean you can find him there you can ask questions you can always ask questions of me you know Things like that. Um, I'm sorry, Div just put a question in and I was trying to read it in all amount of time, but it's a big question. So so when is your next application process? So we're actually going to be launching either this week or next week. So globaltoproundcom you'll be able to go on our website, apply again, pitch deck, company deck. If you have a different one, sometimes you have a publisher deck, sometimes you have an IR deck, give me both. It gives us the access to see your business mind and your company mind as well. Like what, what is the game and what is the company? Uh, a demo, trailer, you know, as much information as you can submit to us, do it on the website and, you know, we'll get right in touch. 
Also, I'm always available on email. So Pontus at globaltoprun.com. You don't have to do it for the website. You can always reach out to me as well. Absolutely no problem. And yeah, since we only, I say only, but we only had one and a half hour today, so we couldn't go into everything that we're doing. But if you want to, you know, chat to other developers and you want to take a look at, uh, you know, what we're doing with the other products, you can go to bit.ly slash ground discord. And in there, we're working with over 200 developers every year. And you can test these developers' games before they're launching it, help them give feedback, help them try to understand what are their target markets, what can they improve on. I can't go in much more than that uh, because we'll need more time. But uh, yeah, globaltoprun.com, applications, one week, two weeks, G-Round. You got bit.ly slash G-Round Discord. Check us out. You know, Are, give, are you signed up questions. for our event in two weeks yet? For the what, sorry? I said, are you signed up for our event in two weeks? I am from the link you gave me last time. Yes. All right. Cool. I, I, yes, of course. I, I'll be I haven't had time to check. I'm just like, <laughs> we'll be there. So yeah. Um, and with that, Indy, I'll, I'll hand it off to you. Yeah. Yep. You're muted. I think. No, I think he's there. If you like this content. Join our Discord at discord.gg slash indie game business. We got a fancy URL there. You can also, this it's flashing across the screen at the bottom. Um, Facebook.com indie game business or twitter.com slash business indie. And if you want to sign up for our meet to match, which is going to be August 4th, 5th, and 6th, which is the week after next, that is just go to indiegame.business. And this podcast, among uh, almost every single of our other ones, will be on um, anchor.fm slash indie game business. Or you can just like search your favorite podcast platform, and we more than likely are there because it gets dispersed among it gets shotgunned out to the to the to the ether. Yeah, so thanks so much for joining us. And remember, you can get their Discord bit.ly slash ground discord. Anything else, Jay? I'm good. All right. Uh, this is awesome. Yeah, I love was, this. No, thank you guys very much. I mean, I wish we had more time because I can talk well, forever. But uh, We'll yeah. get you back <laughs> in, in a couple of weeks. We'll get you back and we'll talk about the other side of what y'all are doing, too. With that would be awesome. 27-hour marathon yeah, of <laughs> <NBA> business. <laughs> All right. And, and in the meantime, we'll be sending you an application. Uh, Indy and I have two people for a podcast, and we need a million dollars. So, yeah. Done. So signed. Where, where, do I, where do I put the thing? In? <laughs> All <laughs> Thank right. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at indiegame.business.